0: What a joy it is to be in the presence of God and to sing to the Lord, to worship the Lord. You, you may hear beef here for the first time, but wow, I just, I just love singing together, love to seek the Lord and to just kind of refocus our minds and our hearts on Him and, and love being, being with you guys uh, singing. And we come now to a time of Bible study, a time of opening up God's Word. And in just a second, we're gonna jump into our final message in this series, uh, Being Human. But of course, today in our country is a big day, Super Bowl. How many of you, uh, anybody here think the Eagles is going to win? Anybody? Yeah? yeah I, didn't, I didn't ask for the woo, but yeah. All right. So uh, how about Chiefs? Any Chiefs think it's going to win? Okay. Any? <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Any Falcons fans? This is like the day of PTSD, 28-3. Anybody like you struggle? Struggle Super Bowl Sunday? I don't know. It, it's a big day. End of a season, you know, football teams have seasons, churches have seasons, you may not think about it like that. We do ministry 365 days a year at Johnson Fair, we have stuff going on almost every single day of the year, and yet we operate a little bit in seasons. Uh, This season of coming into a new calendar year to about Easter is itself a season, and we've seen God do some wonderful things already this year through life change, through the baptisms last week, through just countless stories of serving and, and the body of Christ doing what the body is to do, and to love one another, to serve one another. We're, we're praying expectantly for the next few weeks leading up to Easter, just trusting the Lord uh, for him to do something big. We've got our move conference, so many things going on in this season, and I want to encourage you guys to lean in. In fact, we made a slight adjustment to what we're gonna be teaching because in the next three weeks, we have decided to do a sermon series based on our church, where we see God taking us, what God is doing, and our mission, which is truth, belonging, and purpose. And we're gonna do a series in the next three weeks called What's In It For Me. And really, the target audience are those of you who are kind of on the fence, those of you who are kind of connected, those of you who would say, hey, I wanna take a next step, but honestly, tell me what's in it for me. And I know the next few weeks, we have... Cobb County has a school holiday, one of the 19 they get a year. It's amazing how that, every now and then they go to class too. It's amazing, but uh, I I know there's a holiday. Some people will be traveling. I'm just encouraging, if you can be here the next three weeks, especially the MOVE conference in three weeks, just if you can be here the next three weeks, I am asking you to do whatever you can to be here, because I think this is a really pivotal series to talk about who we are as a church, and I hope that you'll be here for that. But today, we're gonna to wrap up being human. I hope you've been encouraged by this series. I feel like I'm leaving a lot on the table. This question of what is a human is the question of our age. And we didn't get to talk about things like artificial intelligence. Of course, abortion, which is an issue that has to do with the image of God. Uh, assisted suicide, euthanasia. Online church, is that a legitimate form of worship? I mean, there, there's just countless ways where the issue of what does it mean to be a human comes up. And so my hunch is we'll probably do a part two some other time in the future, because this is gonna be a recurring theme again and again and again. And as a follower of Jesus, I need to have a good handle on what it it means to be made in the image of God. Today, we're gonna wrap up the series by talking about being single. Now, that may seem like an odd end to the series, but just as we talked about being married last week, Today we're going to talk about being single, and look, I'll go and tell you the end. Like the conclusion to finding your identity is to discover who Jesus is, because He's the perfect man. And when we understand who Jesus is and what the gospel or the good news of Jesus is, it changes not only our relationship with our heavenly Father vertically, but it also changes horizontally how we treat people, how we handle relationships both romantic and friends and other things, how we deal with all that has to do with what it means to have Jesus at the center of your identity. But I wanna talk to single adults. And you might be here thinking, well, hold on, I'm, I'm a married adult. What's this have to do with me? Can I just tell you, do you know how many marriage sermons single people have sat through through the years? Can I, yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. Let's clap for that. Alright? I mean, do you know how many times they've heard series on your little kids and your marriage and all that stuff, which is all important. It's all important. But let's 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 talk about our single friends today, especially with Valentine's Day coming up. This is my Valentine's present to you. Alright? We're gonna talk about singleness today. I read a I read an article a couple Uh, in preparing for this, and it had this, this title. I don't know if you would agree with this title or not, but this was the title to the article. The church is a terrible place if you're single. Don't amen that. But this guy went on to talk about how he's a follower of Jesus, but he really struggled in his church being a single adult. And some of the phrases that he used were things like he felt devalued. He felt like the family focus of the church often was not met with any kind of emphasis on what it looked like for him to be a single adult without a family, meaning like kids and all that. He felt like useful labor sometimes. I mean, yeah, you're single, you got more time, you do the hard work. Maybe he felt invisible. I think a lot of single people feel like that. Maybe not all single people, may not all single people here today, but some people along the way often feel things like that. And, and if you're not careful, you can start to think that unless you're married, then something's wrong. I know a lot of you have uh, read or seen headlines from the Babylon Bee, a satirical uh, website, but this is what it says. I love I this one little caption. That I thought this was perfect. Woman in singles ministry gets married, promoted to real Christians. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think though we laugh about it. A lot of people feel like this, that unless I'm married, I some, I must be doing something wrong. And I'm not fully a member of what God is doing in his church. Now, the irony for that is that you look at our country and the number of single adults is growing exponentially. And when I talk about single adults, I'm using it in a both legal and biblical way. Meaning like you might say, well, I'm not single. I've been in a long-term dating relationship for like three years. And, and I get what you mean by that, but I'm still gonna use that as you are legally single. So the number of single people is increasing exponentially. Not just in the culture, it is in the church as well. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if some point in your lifetime, a majority of the people in your church, if the current trends keep going, are single and yet we don't talk about it a whole lot even though the Bible has something to say now just understanding a little bit about who we're talking about there are different categories of singles in the church here are a couple of different ones that you'll probably going to you'll see here this morning Johnson Ferry there are those who are never married no kids it's probably a lot of you that may be based more on your age or something else but never married no for whatever reason You're a single parent, never married. Maybe you're separated. So even though technically you're not single yet, you're in this limbo period of hopefully reconciling your marriage, but you're working some things out right now. But for all practical purposes, you're living as a single adult. There are those here today who are divorced. Maybe no kids, not remarried, but they're divorced. There are single parents here today. There are widows of all ages. Certainly we have older widows and widowers here at Johnson We also have some young widows whose spouses have died early in life and are just dealing with what it means to be a single adult at an early age. There's some people who might be living as a single in practice. You might go, what does that mean? Well, let's say that you're married, but maybe your spouse is in the military and, and he or she is deployed for a year at a time. I mean, I know you're married, but you're living as a single adult. Or maybe you have A spouse who is incapacitated in some way, dealing with some serious mental uh, or, excuse me, medical crises of some kind. And so you're living as a single. So there's all these kind of issues. And then the church, we see those who are married, but single in the church. You're all about Jesus. You love coming to church. You love being a part of the body of Christ. And let's just be honest, your spouse doesn't. They don't get the year. I mean, they're cool with you. If you wanna go to church, but that's just not them. And what the Bible calls as unequally yoked. And it creates tension. Because you're married, but when it comes to things with Jesus, you feel single. And there's a whole other list of categories I'm sure we could talk about. But what does it mean to be single? And what's that have to do with the image of God? And what do we do about it as a church? These are the questions we wanna think about. Today, my goal is to offer encouragement To those of you who are single, whether you're 16 years old or 96 years old, I want to offer encouragement to you about what the Bible says about being single. And I also want to talk to those of you who are married to maybe open your eyes to think about some things that you have been neglectful over, over in the last few years and to be encouraging along the way. And and look, I get it. I'll say the obvious. I know if you're single and you're hearing me, you're going, yeah, but you're married. I, I get it. It feels like the, you know, it's like the millionaire who's like, money isn't everything. Well, I just want us to listen to God's word because I think he's the one that's gonna teach us today. And we're gonna go back to a passage that we have looked at a bunch. In fact, I hope by now you almost have the thing memorized because all throughout the series, we've come to this passage again and again and again. I think it's so foundational. It's one we need to revisit again and again, the idea of how God has designed us in his image. You can see it all over Genesis 1 and 2, but it's summarized in such a wonderful way in 26 and 27. Genesis 1:26 and 27. So if you have a Bible, if you're new to the Bible, turn it there to the first chapter of the Bible. Look at verse 26 and 27. And I'm going to read that for us. And as we always do, would you stand as I read God's word with you? Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the livestock. And over all the earth, and over every crawling thing that crawls on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray about that and apply it to the topic of singleness today. Father, here we are again, asking you to speak to us through your word today. We've looked at this passage, Father, for weeks now, and yet, Again, remind us today what it means to be made in your image and how that shapes our view of identity, how that shapes our view of both marriage and singleness, and how that shapes how we are to treat one another in the body of Christ, regardless of our relational status. Teach us, Father, for we're listening, and we'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So today's outline is pretty, pretty simple and always encourage people to take notes with us in the listening guide today. Pretty simple outline here today. I want to talk about three truths about singleness that we learn based on Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and a few other passages we're going to bring into the mix. Number one is this, singleness is good. Singleness is good. In verse 26, we just read, we hear that God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Hear the plural. He says, In our likeness. And then verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then, male and female, he created them. This is so fundamental. When it says, let us make mankind in our image, most theologians take that to be a reference to God being triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Some people take it to be a royal reference, like the royal we, but it's probably a reference, I take it to be to the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is as much or no less God than the Spirit and the Son, the Son With the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit with the Father and the Son, each are equally part of the Godhead, equally God, all bearing what it means to be God. Now that's a big theological concept that sometimes we talk about with the word Trinity. But for our purposes today, what I want you to see is that God creates all of us equally in his image. It's not like God said, all right, Adam, I'm gonna create you in my image. And then Eve is created from Adam and every other human being that comes after him is somehow in Adam's image. No, no, no. He's saying that both Eve and Adam are equally made in the image of God. And every human being that's ever been made or ever will be made is made in the image of God. That's why we as followers of Jesus, our our bias, our default is towards the dignity and the respect for life, because we believe that every single human being, every human being, no matter what you've been through, no matter what circumstances you've had, no matter what difficulties you deal with in a fallen world, every human being is made the image of God. Now, when it comes to marriage, some people think, well, if God created him, Adam, in his image, and her in her image, in his image, then then bringing them together completes the picture. Last week, we talked about marriage. Man and woman coming together, completing this picture of the unity of God. And unintentionally, what we often do is we think, well, then that's what it means to be sufficiently in the image of God when a man and a woman come together. And if you're not, then you're somehow insufficient. So sometimes marriage gets put over singleness, almost valued more, Because I think we wrongly conclude ideas about the image of God. But think about this. Long before Adam and Eve were put together, each were equally made the image of God. Which means that someone who's not married is not insufficient when it comes to the image of God compared to one who is married. Many people wrongly conclude that. And so they build an identity based on something that they think is insufficient in the eyes of God and is not. And so to a single adult, I would encourage you with just this thought, this is something you might just wanna to say to yourself, especially if you're here to struggling with the idea of singleness. Not everyone here struggles with that. Some people are very happy, very content. And I wanna paint a picture though so everyone here's struggling, but a lot of people struggle with their singleness. They don't wanna be single. But here's a thought that maybe would be helpful for you to think about over and over again. It's this. That my singleness is not my identity. I am a child of God. Isn't that true? Singleness is not my identity. I am a child of God. And that's been true for this whole series. Because one thing we've been reminding you of is that the thing that you often think is your identity is probably not. We, We tend to insert, I mean, change out singleness with your job. I am a whatever. That's who I am with your marriage status, I am married or single, with, with your ethnicity, I am, I am you know, African-American, I'm Japanese, I'm, I'm Irish, I'm you know, fill, fill in, you know blank with that, or your sex or your gender. All, all these things are secondary. They're all part of who you are, but none of them are who God wants you to be at your core. God says, at the end of the day, the thing that is most important about you is that you are a child of mine. Isn't that good news? That we are a child of God. And we need to be reminded of that. I think there's a lot of singles, especially if you're struggling with singleness. You are loved by God and a child of God. Sometimes in the church, our emphasis in marriage can almost make marriage to be an idol. We put it at a status and elevate it to a status that sometimes can be unhealthy. Like, for instance, here's a hypothetical situation. Let's say, hypothetically, that you guys had to find a new senior pastor. Hypothetically, you had to find a new senior pastor. I wonder how many of you would be uncomfortable if you found out your new pastor was single? You think, well, I mean, uh, there's passages in the Bible about how the pastor's married and has kids and that kind of thing. We often think that he could not sufficiently be a pastor, but I'd, I'd, I'd be cautious with that because you know who also couldn't be your pastor? Paul. Or here's one, Jesus, who was single. One of my favorite pastors of all time, a guy I quote often, John Stott. He was English and he died, I think about probably about 20 years ago now. Uh, he was single, pastor to church for decades single guy. Thought he was going to get married. Never did. Became contentment, content with that, but he was a single pastor. Singleness is good. It's good. All right. Number two, truth. Number two, singleness shows us that God is enough. Singleness shows us that God is enough. When we talk about marriage in the church, we often will point to a passage like Ephesians 5. am sure Crawford referenced that last week, talking about marriage. And the idea is that Paul says that marriage is this mystery. Mystery now. We all love a good mystery. But mystery in the Bible is not exactly the way we use mystery. Like, like I always think about growing up. I love Scooby-Doo. Anybody ever watch Scooby-Doo? You know what I'm talking about? You know, at the end, they always reveal... It was Farmer Joe, you know, he, and I would have got away with it if you went for pesky, you know what I'm talking about? That's, we think about that as being a mystery. But mystery in the Bible is not some like riddle that you've got to figure out. That's not what mystery means. Mystery in the Bible means this. It's something that's always been true, always God wanted to do, but for a time he concealed it and at his perfect time he then reveals it. So mystery is something that was concealed, now revealed. A marriage, according to the New Testament, is a mystery that points us to what is now known that Jesus has this special relationship with his church. That's why to do marriage the way God says to do it means that the husband, if he's doing his job right, under the lordship of Christ, is almost like Jesus, in terms of an analogy in the marriage, leading and serving his wife. And the wife, under the lordship of Jesus, is like the church as she follows and serves and loves her husband. And a marriage, when done right, points people to the gospel. This relationship, this love that Jesus has for his church. And we often think about that as this kind of diamond, this, this, this mystery, if you will. But what often happens is when singles hear that message, they think, well, if that's the diamond, I must be like the black cloth. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you ever have to go shop for a diamond or you've shopped for a diamond, you know how it works. You go to the store and get all these diamonds. They're crazy expensive. And they don't just pull them out and put them on the glass counter. They don't do that. They're smart. What do they do? They take that diamond and they put it with this black cloth, right? And it just shines and it's brilliant. you think, wow, that's beautiful. And and then you buy the thing. And what singles often feel like is, yeah, marriage must be the diamond. I feel like the black cloth. You know, singles, I want to tell you something today. In many ways... In many ways, if done right, your singleness is actually the diamond. Because when done right, your singleness is an advantage that can teach us that God is enough. That's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. And so turn there. You know, you got your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. This is probably the most comprehensive teaching on singleness in the New Testament. So if you ever want to learn more, I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 7 and see all that Paul says. The same guy that wrote about marriage in Ephesians writes here about singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. And he's talking about how singles, being single can be a gift, whether it's for a short season or for your whole life. It can be a gift if you see it in the right way. And, and here's what he says. He says it's an advantage. Now look down at verse 32. There's so much to say in the whole chapter, but we'll just look at three or four verses, verse 32. He says, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried, so the single person, is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. All right, quick timeout here. I mean, it's pretty practical. Like once you get married, You are taking on some responsibilities that you didn't have when you're single, and you have to manage how to do those with all the time you have in your life. So your interests are divided. Then he goes on, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin, which is a reference to a a child, I mean, a a young woman who had been still under the authority of her father's house, is, she said, uh, excuse me, concerned about things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, so this isn't a bad thing, but what? To promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. The advantage of being single He says, is that when done right, understood correctly, can actually lead to undistracted devotion to the Lord. It's interesting when you see great movements of God's spirit, sometimes we call those things revivals, renewals. It is often done through single people, often young single people. You, you may not know this right now, but there is a university uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury University, famously had a revival in 1970, and we see sparks of that happening again. I don't know if, you caught it, if you've you know, been following this, but they had a chapel service, which is kind of normal deal in a Christian college on Wednesday morning, never ended, still going right now. And people are flocking there, and from what I hear, it's not overly sensational, overly emotional, but people are singing to the Lord, praying, confessing sins, all these things that happen in a revival movement, and it's all happening with young single people. In fact, one of our Johnson Ferry own is a student at Asbury College. And we're praying that that spark of revival turns into a full awakening, an awakening is where Masses of lost people come to Christ because the church is consecrated and taking the things of Jesus and the gospel seriously. And God often does that through young, single people with undistracted devotion to the Lord. Paul says that singles can teach us about this. You know why? Because this is what it'll be like forever. One of the most controversial things that Jesus said, I don't think it was controversial to the people who heard it, but it's controversial to us. In Mark 12, he was talking about marriage. Now people were asking questions to trick him about marriage and who will be married to who and in heaven and that kind of thing. You know what his answer was? He said, there is no giving in marriage in heaven. I think the clearest teaching would be like, we won't be married in heaven. Now if you're married, I hope your response is, oh, Hopefully it's not like, "Woo! finally, (laughs) freedom. I hope hope not. (laughs) Go back and watch last week's message if that's what you're thinking right now. But the reality is that we're all gonna be single in heaven. And just so you know, I can promise you this, whatever it is, it's gonna be good because God is good, God is fair, you can trust him and you won't feel like you're missing anything. Because he's good and we can trust him, amen? But singleness in this time right now actually is a portrait of what we will do forever with Jesus. And when done right, singles can teach all of us about what it means to say that God is enough. So marriage teaches us something, singleness teaches us something. Let's just put them side by side, just make sure we understand that. Marriage teaches us what? Marriage uniquely portrays the love that Christ has for his people. Singleness uniquely portrays the love that we have for Christ. When done right, both of those things can teach us something about Jesus. All right, number three. Three truths about singleness. Singleness has great and unique challenges. Singleness has unique Challenges. Now, like I said earlier, it's been over two decades since I've been single, not married. But I've been the pastor of many singles, I've had friends who are singles, and I hear some common themes. I'm sure there are other things that I, I will not mention here that they struggle with, and not all of them struggle with what I'm about to talk about. But there are three themes I see singles struggling with all the time. Number one is loneliness, meaning they feel isolated. Number two is intimacy. Think about sexual intimacy. Think about emotional intimacy, which is certainly something that is a motivating factor for marriage for many, that that whole idea of intimacy. And thirdly, I just see struggle with contentment. Paul said the singleness when viewed correctly can be a gift. And a lot of you are like, well, I would like to give the gift back. But if that is your attitude, you haven't quite understood how it could be a gift. But here's what happens. Like anything that God does, Satan loves to come in and distort it. And he loves to come in and lie and, 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 and make you feel insignificant. So for instance, like the whole loneliness deal. Like you feel lonely and then you scroll in, you know, through whatever you know, platform you're on and you see your married friends or people in these deep relationships and you're like, man, I just, I, I must be less than, I must not be good enough. And why are why they so happy? I'm not happy. And Satan lo- he loves to jump in that moment, doesn't he? Yeah, you are lonely. You look, you're doing it God's way. How's that working out for you? Intimacy. Gosh, I mean, how many people in this room just statistically struggle with pornography, whether you're married or single? There's some unique challenges of being single with pornography. Aside that, just dating relationships. If, If done the wrong way, you start to compromise your ideals. I mean, I know he didn't follow Jesus, but I mean, he's a really nice guy. And you start to lower the bar. And Satan loves to jump all over that. Contentment. Yeah, you're not, you're not happy. I thought Jesus was gonna give you a spouse. Why haven't he, hasn't he given you a spouse? And we tend to think that. You know, Jesus, I've done enough. I've served enough. I love you. I, I worship at church. I serve. I'm doing all the right. Why haven't you yet given me this thing that's at the desire of my heart? And if we're not careful, we turn Jesus into a vending machine and a lot more like karma than understanding the sovereignty and the providence and the goodness of God to give us what we need when we need it. Singleness has unique challenges and to all these challenges, we'd have to just remind ourselves, folks, that Jesus is enough, right? That Jesus is enough. That Jesus is the only one who can fulfill you. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy you. Jesus is the only one who can completely forgive you and fulfill you. Jesus is the only one that can give you joy. Jesus is the only one that can give you contentment. Jesus Christ loves you so much, so much that he died on a cross. We sang of this cross, your cross, my freedom, King Jesus. He's the one who died on a cross. To forgive you of your sin, to give you a new life, to give you a fresh start, to give you eternity in heaven, to give you the contentment that you long for, to give you the power through his resurrection to overcome death and to be filled by his spirit, to be changed, to be in his likeness. Jesus is the only one who can give you that. No one else can give you that. No one else can give you that. Some of you need to hear that today. No one else can give you that. It's like that movie, remember 25 years ago in the movie Jerry Maguire? Anybody remember that? Remember that scene? She looks at Tom Cruise and she says, you complete me. (laughs) That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do you know that? (laughs) That is a lie. You know why? I mean, it's a beautiful scene, right? But it's a light because no human being will ever complete you. No amount of money will ever complete you. No career advancement will ever complete you. Nothing will complete you outside of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can complete you. That is the power of the gospel. He is the only one who can complete you. And to singles, I would say, show us the way. Teach us. Show us the way. That God is enough. God is enough. Now the question is, what do, what do we do with this? I mean, you're sitting there and you're like, well, I mean, I'm 17, I'm a junior in high school. I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm married 37 years. I'm a grandparent, I'm a newlywed, I'm a, I'm a single. Like, what, 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 do we, what do we do with this, particularly as a church? I think there's probably a lot of things we could do with it. I'm sure at Johnson Ferry there are a hundred things that we do wrong when it comes to single ministry. I'm sure it's something we need to improve on. But in in, in two ways, I would say we need to take a next step as a church. And this is something I think all of us need to think about and pray about how to do. Number one is this. We need to attempt to diversify our community. Now, when we hear diversity, We tend to think about that like just ethnically. And I think that's true too. Like we need to look as much like heaven as possible. People from all backgrounds, all ethnicities coming together unified in Christ. But when it comes to the conversation today, it means that we need to think about ways in which we can be more diverse in how we're helping single and married adults come together in the body of Christ. When you look at Acts chapter 2, this early church, we saw they came from all behind the backgrounds, Jew and Gentile and everything in between, and yet they found unity in Jesus Christ. That's to be the same thing here. We find diversity in doing life together. Now, there are times where we need to have specific groups, maybe for married adults and specific groups for single adults. But I've I've been really encouraged by the number of growing, the growing number of groups that Mix together single and married adults. I think when done right, that can be really encouraging and really healthy and really helpful. But just think about in your life do you, do you have people in your life? If you're married, do you have single friends? If you're single, do you have married friends? What are ways we can diversify our community? Number two, how might we deepen our relationships? This goes back to just understanding the power and the value of friendships. You know, Jesus taught us so much, but he can teach us about friendship. I know he's Jesus. I know he's the son of God. I I got all that. But Jesus Christ himself, who was single, developed deep friendships. I know he taught the crowds. He did the miracles. But think about it. Jesus spent the majority of time with three people. You know who those three were? Peter, James. And John. Peter was married, we think. He had a mother-in-law. James and John, from we can tell, were single. Jesus was single. So they had a little discipleship group. Three singles, one married adult, and yet they deepened their friendship with one another. When it comes to the idea of marriage and relationships and single and relationships, it means that we need to deepen, listen to one another, hear the hurts of one another, hear the challenges of one another, pray for one another, encourage one another get in each other's lives. I love what one guy said. He said, we need to have, you need to have friends in your life with refrigerator privileges. You got any friends like that? I mean, someone who can come over tonight and just open up your fridge and just have whatever they want. You got any friend like that? You need friends like that in your life. Some days you're gonna need to raid their fridge too. That's how it works. But we need friends like that. And that friend is found in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you a very practical thing we need to always think about here at Johnson Fury. I wonder today, I mean, there's what have been thousands of you that have come in our four services. I bet there's a lot of single adults who came here today. And think about it, they came here this morning, it's rainy, it's cold, came here for the first time. They get out there, the parking lot is insane. Because half of y'all drive five cars to church, but that's a whole nother talk. (laughs) But the parking lot is insane. And they walk in this door. And I wanna tell you, this church has so many benefits, but one of the liabilities of a big church is that you can walk in the back, you can sit in a chair, and you can enjoy a worship experience and sing and listen and take notes. And maybe you wander out to the atrium, maybe you get a cup of coffee in the cafe. And it would be easy to come in this place and have no one, no one talk to you. And if that were to happen here, as I'm sure it does, then shame on us, shame on us. This needs to be the friendliest place on the planet because we have Jesus. I would encourage you to get outside your little groups, look for people you haven't met, extend a hand, introduce with a name, go out of your way each and every Sunday to make people feel welcome, deepen our friendships. Being human, as we come to the conclusion of this series, I hope this has been encouraging to you. Just thinking about what it means to be made at the image of God, and I don't know what your next step is. Maybe for some of you, it's coming to Christ. And just a little bit, uh, when our service is done, we'll give you an opportunity to do that. You can receive Christ right there. As we sing right there in your own seat, just say simply, Jesus, come into my life. Change me, save me. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave for me. I believe that in you I have eternal life. In you I have forgiveness. Save me, change me. Any version of that prayer you wanna pray when done sincerely and earnestly invites Christ into your life. And we would love to see you take those steps of life change. And you can go down to a response team after the service. You can stop by the pergola. You can go to the listening guide, go to the QR code, say, I wanna follow Jesus. You know, whatever step you wanna take, we just wanna help you walk with Jesus and find your identity in Him. But all of us, all of us, even if we've been walking with Jesus for years, need to be reminded to build our life on Him. So let's pray about that. And then let's sing about that. Father, Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that our identity is perfected in him. To be in Christ is the best description we could give of our life. That's our identity, that we are in Christ. If there's anyone here today who's not in Christ, anyone here today who's not, Lord, basing their life and building their life on you, would today be that day? Would right now, they say, come to my life, change me. And Lord, would you change and save them? For those of us who've walked with you for years, challenge us once again to go all in with you. And Lord, in this season in our church, we've seen a lot of growth. We've seen a lot of wonderful things of the spirit. God, we never think those things happen because we're good leaders, because we're creative, because we have money. Lord, would we be radically dependent upon you in this season? Lord, do something awesome here. Help us build our life on you.